Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Moth. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. Good afternoon, good evening, and good... I've used that one before. It's not even fun anymore. How's everybody doing? Good. Yeah. So, <laughs> you're talking to the people <laughs> on Twitter that can't answer you, so I'll answer for them. They're doing good, too. That's great. All right. So, uh, today we have the wonderful Corey Burkhart, who top-aided GP uh, Pittsburgh. This last, last weekend. weekend. Welcome, man. How you Two doing? Two weekends ago for the people that are listening to this. That's oh, a week late, yeah. Yeah. Doing well. How are you guys doing? We're great. We're rambling. We're excited to talk to you. You top eight at a modern tournament. It's a big deal. I mean, I'm I'm pretty stoked. I'm looking forward to the modern pro tour even more than I was going into Pittsburgh a couple weekends ago. Uh, we're looking forward to spectating. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as a warning for people uh, listening, uh, we are recording this all hopefully in one take. And also, Ben woke up at four o'clock in the morning today, so he might be a little tired and loopy. So if he says something ridiculous or starts rambling about some weird card like Spellskite or something along those lines, he will, we're just going to have to sit through it and deal with it. I'm going to probably just bring up Survivor of the Unseen decks once again, like at some <laughs> point on this podcast. He's brainstorm on a creature, guys. It's great. All right. Uh, so cool. So today we're going to be talking about what your experience was at the GP, kind of doing a breakdown of what went into your deck choice, the process you went through it, the top eight, interesting deck moments, etc. Your cetera, et recent inclusion on Team Ultra Pro, which is a huge deal, obviously. Congratulations. Thank you. I, I can't wait. Let's get into it. Right. Uh, so before we start, can you just kind of break down for everyone some of your uh, accolades? How, what have you accomplished as a Magic player, and how did you kind of get into Magic? Uh, so I got into Magic back in 2010. I majorly started with actual original Zendikar, so it's kind of funny that I'm seeing most of my success here with Battle for Zendikar. Um, I got into it as I was a former WoW TCG pro. Uh, after winning one of their pro tours and then repeating top eight the very next year, uh, one of my friends actually owned a magic online collection, had a bunch of cards and asked me if I wanted to share a collection with him. I made an account, started playing and I used that really as a tool to get better at wow at the time. Cause I was really, really bad at drafting and really just wanted to improve my draft skills. Eventually started porting it over once wow TCG died off into, you know, maybe I should play this magic thing. And it took me a few years to really get a grip on what was going on in the constructed formats. It took me a long time to actually catch up to speed with most of the other players that were just sort of hitting the floor and just going full throttle. But this past year, I've top-aided Grand Prix San Diego, which was standard back in August. And I just top-aided Pittsburgh uh, here in November. But I also finished top 25 at the Pro Tour for Battle for Zendikar. Now, you and I run Which kind of a, a similar circle with uh, with the Magic players we play with. Did I hear somewhere that you have a 100% cash rate at Grand Prix? Up until Atlanta, which was at this point two weekends ago. By the time you guys hear this, it'll be three weekends ago. I had a 100% cash rate at GPs when I day two'd. Um, I gave up that sort of, uh, I want to call it, appreciation that I had for my day twos and really putting my best foot forward. Uh, by conceding to my former team captain, Jerry Thompson, which got him silver oh, in he's, Atlanta. He's a good player. He's a pretty <laughs> solid player and a really awesome friend, so I'm not too unhappy to give up that little accomplishment that I had to it's a sign make sure growth. my buddy stays on the pro tour. Nice. Yeah. 
Well, that's excellent, man. Uh, this is obviously a, a what modern is, is a wild, wild west. Every time you get a, a brand new card, especially one as, as awesome as Jace Friend's Prodigy, which you were uh, fortunate enough to be playing four copies of in your top eight deck. So there's lots has changed since last we talked about the deck you played, which was the Grixis Control deck. Uh, so for, for those who don't know, we uh, we did a full deck tech with Patrick Chapin, who's I think one of your teammates uh, a few months back. Um, if you want to listen to that after we're done, you can kind of feel difference. But uh, you took a similar list, but different to the top eight in this tournament. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely a list that's close to our hearts. A lot of cards that we like a whole lot. So I think we, we want to get into this list and your tournament report a little bit, even some of the changes from Chapin's list to this one. But before we do, quickly, I just want to remind everybody here, check out the Command Zone. They're our sister podcast. They do commander content. They're also on rocketjump.com. Which follow, is where we are. Which is also where we are. <laughs> follow us on Twitter. You can follow the podcast at, at the MMCast. I'm at Ben Bateman Media. I am at Kess Wiley. You can follow Corey. Corey. At, at Corey underscore Burkhart. Yes. Which will be linked on rocketjump.com. Also, fun fact. Jimmy and Josh got voted by Wizards of the Coast officially as top 10 podcasts. Oh, that's great. So, Command Zone. So, we're like the like un- little brother of someone who's like famous and special, and we're just kind of cool and do our own thing. We're the redheaded stepchild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not a big deal. <laughs> um, anyway, that's awesome. So, so yeah, follow and, and stay up with us on all that and check out old episodes. We're also going to – we're on YouTube under Webisodes Network. You can see the video versions of these podcasts uh, with card images and stuff. So, Let's get into the deck, man. Uh, how did you choose this deck, first and foremost? Is this something you've played before? Was this heavy testing? What was it? So it's a bit of both, I guess. I actually played a deck very similar to this uh, back at Grand Prix Oklahoma City. Uh, when I qualified for Battle for Zendikar, I was able to talk and or strong arm, if you want to call it that, Ari Lax and Jerry Thompson into adding me to the uh, Star City Games and TCG player hybrid team. I got on their Pro Tour team for Battle for Zendikar. And one of the decks that Michael Majors and Jerry Thompson had been working on was this Grixis control list that didn't play any counter spells. It looked really weird. It was really funky. But out of the three of us that played, it was Majors, uh, Thompson, and myself. All of us went 12 and 3. So we all had great showings of the deck in Oklahoma City. And when I sort of got back around to this whole GP grind, I got around to modern testing, and I was like, well... What are the decks that really improved Battle for Zendikar? My first look at was Tron. Tron picked up uh, Ulamog, and Ulamog's you know this great threat that answers difficult permanence. Exiles two just on being cast, and only takes four lands in the Tron deck. So I gave Tron a try. Tron was awful. Could not win a game with Tron. I tried to go play the Zoo deck that had just crushed the Star City Games tournament and crushed the Grand Prix in South America. Try out the Zoo deck. Can't win a game to save my life. So I'm going through all these decks and I just I can't win. What was wrong with the, what was wrong with the zoo deck when you were testing it? If you don't mind me asking, the zoo deck was powerful and it was quick. But the problem was, is once someone got on top of you, you lacked the sort of end game finishing power that the burn decks had, where you can just get into a top deck war with someone and just draw two spells in a row and kill them. The problem with the zoo deck is you have curd apes and mutagenic gross and wild nacodles in your deck. And while these are great cards to have in your opening hand. Once you start falling behind and your opponent starts to take over the board and play their own Tarmogoyfs and play Olivia Voldaren, get Planeswalkers in play, or, you know, God forbid they have a Worm Coil in play, you just don't have the capability to actually take back over the game or finish your opponent off. Like, you really just had Lightning Bolts and Atarkas commands to win the game. Isn't that always what Zudex would have come up against, though? I mean, it's not as if these Zudex are worse than old Zudex. It's just that maybe that's why Zoo is not as popular of a archetype as it used to be, probably. 
Right, I, I think it's just a fundamental flaw of how the deck functions in how powerful and how quick the format of Modern is. I'm not saying that the, the Zoo deck is bad, per se, because it has fundamental flaws. I think every deck has fundamental flaws at some level. It's just sort of, how do you mitigate your flaws and push the advantages that you have upon other decks? Makes sense. And I think the Zoo deck, just right now in the current metagame and what people were playing, just didn't actually have the ability to thread the needle as long as it needs to got it okay so you couldn't win with zoo you couldn't win with tron you keep going down the list and you you revisit this grixis list i eventually yeah, i eventually get back to my grixis list i'm like all right well the magic on the line is probably not the best place to be playing a counterless grixis control deck as most of the field in the eight man you'll end up playing is burn and burns a pretty bad matchup for the deck but I keep entering these eight mans. I keep going two and one, two and one. Eventually, get a three and zero. Oh. I play in a couple leagues, and I'm like, all right, you know, I still love the way this deck feels. Jace Friend's Prodigy is an absurd magic card. Snapcaster Mage is just disgusting. And what I determined is, what are the decks that I'm going to be playing against? I figured that the best players, the players that you're going to be playing against day two, when you're playing down the stretch, trying to make top eight of a Grand Prix. Most of the pros want to play the deck that's going to get banned. They're going to play Amulet Bloom. This deck doesn't have a great Amulet Bloom matchup, but at least I have a plan with the sideboard. Um, but the other big decks, Infect, Affinity, uh, Zoo, because it performed well recently. Twin. These, de- these decks you have an amazing matchup against. Twin, another good matchup. Not amazing, but it's a very favorable matchup, I think. These are decks that I want to be playing against when I'm playing this Grixis Control deck. That All I'm looking to do is blow up every single one of my opponent's non-land permanents. Yeah, it's a pretty, I mean, four, just like without even getting the list yet, I mean, just four Jace Rins Prodigy, four Snapcaster Mage, and four Colagons Command is just insane. I'm just looking at that, and I'm just like, oh my god, this just looks like you're just never going to run out of gas. Uh, that was basically the goal. I, like I said, I played a deck very similar to this at Oklahoma City, and I think the biggest mistake I had in my list there was I only played three Colagons Commands. Every time you draw that card, it is just exceptionally filthy, the things that you get to do. Uh, again, in combination with Jace, with Snapcaster Mage, and with some of the other inclusions that we'll see in the deck. And I noticed you're playing, I mean, like I said, we'll, we will get into the full list in a minute, but I noticed you're playing one Liliana of the Veil. What's with that? So, one Liliana of the Veil is I wanted one more, basically, top-end threat. And while Liliana is not really looked at as a top-end threat when you look at the Jun decks, the Jun decks are ending ending up playing a four-mana creature of swords. They'll play Thrun, Olivia, sometimes even Thragtest. They'll go up to five mana. Uh, some will even play like an Outpost Siege. You're really just looking for a card that can take over the game. And because you're already leveraging a Planeswalker permanent in Jace, you're sort of just adding up the different angles and different uh, sort of planes that people have to fight you on. And some decks just aren't very good at fighting this, hey, here's this Planeswalker that's going to tick up and sort of Armageddon me. Also, you just need an edict effect in the deck. One of the, the big things and big problems that I had with other Grixis control decks was you need to have an answer to every single like threat that you can run into, or you need to have a plan for it. So, um, so what's the what's the threat that you desperately need the edict against? I mean, what's the one that comes uh, to mind? So Thrun is a big one. Right. Thankfully, Thrun wasn't seeing that much play, so I was able to cut down to only two edict effects in the 75 in this version of the deck. Another big one is the Boggles matchup. Right. The Boggles matchup is sort of just, well, I'm just going to hope that none of the really great players are playing Boggles. But, I mean, Dan Ward is a player that consistently does very well in Modern, and the only deck he plays in Modern is Boggles. So, yeah, you're planning for the top tables, basically. Yes, you need to be prepared, even if it's only one or two people. 
some people are just going to pick up this deck, and Liliana is also just a powerful enough card that I'm very happy putting a Liliana the Veil on my deck. All right, well, before we start talking about specific matchups and your actual tournament report, why don't we just maybe go down the list and continue this? Um, yeah, absolutely. We start with the one Liliana of the Veil, as we said, four Jace Rin's Prodigy, four Snapcaster. What's the, your comparison of those two cards now? Now that you've had some time, you've gone deep in a tournament, you've gotten to play a deck with four each, how much better is Snapcaster than Jace, or is it? Oof. Um, so <laughs> that is, I'm going to say the jury's still out on that one. Wow. I, so Jace has really come around to the point where like, like, uh, Chapin says the Snapcaster is the best creature in modern. So you're saying like that it's possible Jace is the best creature in modern. Okay. So once you make that direct comparison, I think Jace is probably just second as far as like two mana creatures in modern jace is probably just second snapcaster is number one in overall creatures in modern jace is probably number two number three and snapcaster is number one i think the other one you can probably whoop into that category is more than likely termogoyf right that's like usually the top three or well, I mean, usually the top two jace has never been the top three that's insane that that's a, you're you just did well in a tournament with four of this card and you're actually telling me that that's mind-blowing i can't believe that jace just does everything it's a creature <laughs> Uh, that allows you to fix your draws when you, I mean, you can play a low land count with it because it loots. You can play a high land count with it because it loots. Uh, it has the same sort of flexibility that Snapcaster Mage and the ability to flash things back. Again, because there's no counter spells in this main deck, it sort of functions the same way Snapcaster Mage does, where you can just act as a sorcery on most of your spells. So it's not a big liability where it's like, I can't flash in a 2-1 body and cast this spell at instant speed. It also just has the ability to win the game on its own. Like, I was only able to ultimate it once this weekend, whereas in Oklahoma City, I actually emblemed it three times. But people just don't respect Planeswalkers in Modern for whatever reason. I had a Dreadmore in the deck up until Friday night, and it's a thing where people just really can't kill Planeswalkers. If you look at the twin decks, they really struggle with Planeswalkers. Most of the other control decks struggle with Planeswalkers. Sure, there's Abrupt Decay in the format, but you're really looking at a format that just sort of has disrespected this card type. Yeah, it is pretty interesting, isn't it? I, like, it's I always find it so interesting when a card like Jace can come around and be so undervalued at first, especially in a format like Modern that's Eternal, where the, the power level is so high and people are so willing to. I mean, it's like the familiarity with a card how it's going to fit into a deck. It seems like it's so second nature. So a card like Jace coming around and being actually at this power level, and it's say taking a few weeks or even like a couple months to get there where people are really acknowledging quite how good it is. It's always a little surprising. I mean, the amount of times a two-drop creature that did something inherently powerful but in a different way that was kind of weird that ended up being worth more than $50 is kind of... It's a lot of times. It's a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how, so Jace is, is it more now or is it still in the 70s? Or is it higher? I think it's a little down, but it's still like 70s, so 60s. just buying a box of Origins, is it, it's just got to be worth the gamble. Long term, you have to think this card's going to be at least 50 Jace Lottery's back. Right? I mean... I He's excellent. I <laughs> I think he warrants his 50, 60, 70, whatever his price tag is this week. I'm just going to say I'm really glad I bought them when the spoilers went up and people were like, oh, this Planeswalker cycle sucks. No one's going to use these. People, they, they print their characters that are mythic rares. They're going to be powerful. They don't miss on these on purpose. Yeah, it's true. All right, so you get four Js, four Snap. Uh, we talked to Andrew Brown a couple weeks back about Pia and Kieran Nalar when he won the RPTQ playing uh, Twin, and he, he sung its praises in that deck. You have one of those main deck as well as two Tassiger. Tell us a little about those guys. Uh, Pia and Kira's great. 
my Jund opponent in round 14. Uh, I played one on turn six or something and ended up losing a pretty close game one, which I never saw a Snapcaster, a Jace, or a Colorgon's command. But the P and Karen Alar just threw him for a huge loop, and it sort of stalled out the game for like five, six extra turns where he just couldn't beat down. And he sort of raised an eyelash and was just like, well, is that card actually good in your deck? And it's like, it might actually just be the best red creature that's running around that a control deck can actually play. Yeah, I mean, it I've, seems it seems to be getting more and more prominent. I've I've played with Abbott of Carol Keep before, and I really like Abbott. Um, Abbott was pretty solid on deck similar to this, but PN Cura answers so many different problems you have, where it's like the deck really struggles to close out the game. Etched Champion's a problem in game one. Uh, you sort of just need extra pieces of removal lying around. This makes multiple bodies. You can clog up the board. It, it really just does everything that you sort of need your finisher to do, whereas cards I was trying out like Moldrifter, Grave Titan, Glenelendra Archmage, they were all suffering from different problems, and I think Pia and Kira just really closed the door on that one. Would you, would you think about maybe playing more than just the one main deck, or do you think that's kind of the sweet spot for the card? Right now, if I had to, had to say, I'd probably just keep it at one, but I could easily see playing two. I think there's a world in which the format gets even grindier, and if you think that you need to outgrind these Jund decks, they're going to start moving up to four and five mana spells like Garrick Primal Hunter, more Thrag Tusks. You think you need to start beating up uh, other Grixis control decks, they're going to play Mold Drifters. Then, I mean, if you want to play two, three Pia Kira and Alar and that sort of a world if the metagame ships that way i absolutely could see playing more than one copy of this card interesting it's funny because the ones you were just naming i guess before seeing pia and kieran in a list if you had given me like a stack of cards be like hey would you ever play these in a modern mid-range control deck and it was like grave titan glenelandra archmage mall drifter pia and kieran i like wouldn't have separated any of them i would have looked at them all and just been like yeah, like, maybe, 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 maybe. Probably not on any of these, though. Like, I guess Moldrifter would have been the one that would have come to mind just because I could have evoked it, and then Colagons commanded it back to my hand. That seems to be, like, that's sort of, right? That's, like, the gist of it? Yeah, that's sort of the cute little combo that's going on. It's like, hey, you've got Colagons command, you've got Rise Fall, I've got ways to go get this back. So it's a divination in the early game. In the late game, it's a three-for-one in the sense that a 2-2 body is usually pretty good in these eternal formats. The problem I've had with Moldrifter is it's sort of air, and I don't really need my finisher to be, and I, I use air quotes when I say air, it, it doesn't affect the board in the way that I need it to. When I play my finisher in one of these control decks, if I'm going to put one of these these creatures in at my top end, I need it to actually take over the board and really stifle what my opponent's doing. Well, because and, I was, you know, was going to say, I mean, that would make sense because essentially like... In the early game, you don't want to be playing Divination and Modern. And in the late game, if you're going to cast something for five mana and you're hoping to win with it, like it's great that it gets you two more cards, but if you're going to cast something for five mana, it should be something like really, really good. It should be something it, that can just win. Exactly. Well, I mean, two, two, two for five is just not going to solve that. Even when you're drawing these two additional cards, a lot of what this deck is is just one-for-one one removal. And I, even though it's you know you're drawing two more pieces of one-for-one one removal... A lot of these are weird, proactive answers, like discard spells that are going to be dead in the late game. And that's sort of where the, the Tassiger helps and comes in in that nature. Well, I mean, and, and just one last thing on the Pia, which I'm never going to say correctly. Pia, Pia and, and Kira Noir. <laughs> uh, is, I mean, like, they do a lot of what Lingering Souls has always been powerful against. They're great against Liliata, because you cast and they can't make you sack away your creature. They're good against 
all like there are a lot of decks out there that just fold to lingering souls because two one one flyers in the air, like infect can't get through it uh, without wasting spells. Affinity can't get through it without like wasting one of their one ones. Like it, it stops so many things dead in their tracks. And this comes with shocks if you need to like really get over the top. I, I, I'm not surprised this card is doing more work than people thought it would. You you hit it right on the head. It it answers so many different problems and it it answers from so many different angles too. Interesting. Okay, so let's continue moving down the sorcery speed stuff. You have four Inquisition, four Serum Visions, and one Rise Fall. You mentioned. I think we're all familiar with Inquisition, and I guess the only interesting thing here is that you're playing no Thoughtseize, and that's, I'm assuming, because you play a lot of uh, lands that take life. Is that why? Yeah, the the biggest thing with Thoughtseize is I'm really worried about my life total. I'm expecting the game to go exceptionally long. If my opponent's pulling Lightning Bolts, I'm going to let them find their Lightning Bolts a lot of the time. I really need to be conservative with my life total in this deck, and... While I love Thoughtseize and it's done a lot of work for me in the past, I just don't think this is the deck for it. Yeah, no, it makes sense to me. And so Inquisition, Serum Visions, obviously, we've talked about like at length in the last four shows. We've done, we've done tech, like countdown shows, like top ten shows about cards in Modern. One was like Commons. One was like, I can't, Blue Cards or something like that. It just both times it ended on like Serum Visions for, for whatever reason. Um, so we've it's... talked... Yeah. It's one of the cards that I could easily see being on the chopping block for an upcoming ban list. Really? All all of the cards that are sort of homogenizing gameplay and their variance-reducing effects, Preordain and Ponder, both got banned for the same reason. And I'm going to get some hate for this, that I think Brainstorm does a lot of damage to the Legacy format. I think it it allows a lot of the decks that do exist to exist, but I do believe that it actually net makes the gameplay worse and that most of the games play out the same way, and you're just getting the exact same experience rather than getting a wide range of experience by playing all these awesome cards they've printed over so many years of Magic, that I think if Serum Visions was gone, I think the format would be more enjoyable. People were obviously going to complain because they hate change, but I think if we had to just play with Sleight of Hand as the fourth best cantrip that's modern, you know, in the modern format, and they've banned the first three, and now we have to play with Sleight of Hand, I think that'd be more enjoyable. I think it'd be more interesting, personally. Do you think, do you think they should reprint Opt and call it Scry? I, I'm all down for that. <laughs> it seems, <laughs> seems reasonable. I think you could I think could do it. So, uh, all right, so tell us about Risefall, because that's an old pet card of mine. It's one of my favorite older cards. I've tried this in decks before, uh, and for those of you that don't know what Risefall does, it's a split card sorcery from the Ravnica block, with the first half says, uh, return target creature on the battlefield and target creature in a graveyard to their owner's hands. And the other side is, uh, that's for one blue, one black. And the other side is one black, one red. And it is uh, target player reveals their hand and dis- t- uh, two cards at random and discards all non-land cards revealed this way. So it's a unique sort of two-for-one, kind of janky version of a couple different cards, but sort of awesome if you're one of these players that likes a lot of versatility, right? I mean... I still get chills every time I see this card. It just makes me so happy. Yeah, it's awesome. I feel like you and I actually may have had a conversation about this particular card a couple years ago at a tournament because I feel like I was trying to fit it into some stupid deck I was building, and I think you actually encouraged me. I think I was telling you that I was playing two or three of them in some deck, and you were like, oh, yeah, that card's sweet. Like, I don't know it why. It sounds like something I would do. I don't have a lot of self-control when it comes to really awesome cards, and it's no surprise that I still try to play with as many Rise Falls as possible. So yeah. How did Rise Fall do for you over the tournament? Rise Fall is just amazing. Uh, I, I got to hit what I call the trifecta on this card. So the first part of the trifecta is bouncing your opponent's permanent that costs more than two mana. Usually 
a Knight of the Reliquary. Sometimes it's a Kitchen Finks because you don't really care what your opponent's life total is at. And bringing back a Snapcaster Major, a Jace, and playing it in the same turn. So you have four mana, you've bounced your opponent's three mana guy, you've deployed a threat, or you have a Snapcaster Mage back in your hand. That's, that's the first part of the trifecta. The second part is getting back your Jace or your Snapcaster Mage from your graveyard and bouncing your own Snapcaster Mage that's in play. That, so, that one gets used pretty pretty infrequently, but it's exceptionally disgusting when you get to see that line and you're like, I don't need to attack my opponent for two. What I need back is more of my awesome spells from the graveyard. And then you get to cast Snapcaster Mage and replay your Inquisition taking the, taking the three mana permanent out of their hand? Um, I actually did get to do that against, again, unfortunately, my Jund opponent in round 14. I bounced his Kitchen Finks. Played the Snapcaster Mage I got back, inquisitioned his Snapcaster Mage out of his hand. He's then looking at his Liliana on one and just goes, well, I guess my Liliana is going to die. And his <laughs> Liliana then died the next turn of the Snapcaster Mage and just sort of scratched his head going, well, that was that was pretty big blowout. Sounds real sweet. So you would you would you play with more rise, more than one Risefall or is Risefall totally like uh, just one of those awesome one-ofs that if you draw more than one, it might seem less good? When I got back to testing the deck later on the week leading up to Pittsburgh, I tried out two, and it's a card that's just exceptionally clunky at some points. Right. You're only playing 11 creatures in the deck, so you don't get to use the blue-black half enough of the time. But the times where the red-black half is great, those are the times where you kind of wish you had two or three. That's usually in the scapeshift matchups, the Tron matchups. like Essentially, the lands decks where all their deck really revolves around is playing one big spell and they just have all these lands lying around that they're just going to kill you with. Because they're these big mana decks, they just trump the strategy that you're actually playing, which is I'm going to one-for-one grind you out and then eventually start playing all these two-for-ones. Because it doesn't matter if you two-for-one them seven times. They just play one spell and it's worth seven or twelve or infinite of your cards in some cases. Right. Uh, um, so, so, Oh, go ahead. Uh, in those cases, Rise Fall's great because the fall half of it, you just target a fall at them eliminate whatever threats they have, and then you just try to kill them as quickly as humanly possible, which I was able to do to my uh, scapeshift opponent that ended up making top eight also with me. Okay, so... Uh, I ended up falling a primeval titan out of his hand, which was pretty clutch. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the instance in the deck. It plays 16, it looks like. It's uh, obviously four Kologon's Command, which is... I think anybody that doesn't know what Kologon's Command is at this point isn't listening to our podcast, but uh, it's an instant for a black-red colorless... Choose two. One of them is return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Another mode is target player discards a card. Another is destroy target artifact. Another is Kologon's command deals two damage target creature or player. So it's uh, super, super good value and obviously works really well with the awesome value creatures you're playing. You've you got one dismember, three terminate, four thought scour, four lightning bolt. Uh, and then as far as the lands go, the relevant stuff in here, no. Two creeping targets. Okay, there's two cream targets. I'm blind. There you go. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, any anything you changed on the instance or the lands? Uh, after losing to choke twice, I might add one more blue producing land that's not an island. Got it. I really struggle to see where it's supposed to come from at this point. I think it would have to be a dark slick shores, but it's not a dark slick shores. I guess it's like a. It can't be a third creeping tarpet. Having three tap lands is just too rough. Maybe a water grave needs to turn into a second round catacombs. It's it's tough to say, but losing to choke twice on the tournament, where I only lost eight games, is somewhat brutal. Yeah, it makes sense. It, uh, I mean, that was that was your that was your downfall, right? In the in the semis, it was it was a choke. Uh, it was quarterfinals against my teammate Craig Wesco. I ended up playing game one pretty badly, and I think I could have won game one. And then game two, he played choke on about turn five. 
maybe it was turn six. And I just never saw a blue land that was not an island. And just all my islands were choked out and Snapcaster mages were hanging out in my hand saying, what's up? Yeah, it seems pretty brutal. Um, so the sideboard's pretty standard. Aside from four Fulminator mages, you've got one Glenelandra Archmage, one is it's that a caster, some dispels, looks like a damnation, a couple other cards here. Pretty happy with your sideboard for the tournament? Uh, yeah, I think if I could do it again, I might change one or two cards, but overall, each card came in at least once on the day, and every single time I drew them in those matchups, they did exactly what they were intended to do, and that's all you can ask for out of great sideboard cards. Cool. All right, well, let's let's walk through a little bit of a speed round on the, on your uh, tournament report. Obviously, you played a lot of Magic, so a, a round by round is probably going to take forever, but we can at least talk about some of the more interesting ones. Um, did you go in with any buys? Uh, yeah, I started with two buys, and oddly enough, my round three opponent didn't show up, so I somehow started with three buys at a tournament I was only a silver level pro at. So Nice, okay. Take, take them how they come. So what's your first match? Uh, my first match was round four against Infect, and my opponent actually played exceptionally well. I was really impressed with his play. Uh, he crushed me in game one after I flipped a Jace on turn three on the play, plus on his Glistener Elf, and I tapped out after Inquisitioning him. He then probed me and then killed me. Wow. By using Becomments, Groundswell, and I believe it was a second Groundswell. Like, Jeez. I even... Took a pump spell out of his hand. He didn't have a become immense. He did a second ground swell. Just drove, drew a pump spell, uh, probed me, hit become immense, and he's like, "All right, kill you with this glistener for 13 poison." I was left scratching my head after game one. Uh, but the most interesting game in that match was game three, where he has a wild defiance in play, and I've got is it Satacaster in play? Uh, and for those of you that don't know what wild defiance is, it's an enchantment for two and a green that says whenever a creature you control becomes targeted by an instant or sorcery. It gets plus three, plus three until on a turn. Really good in infect, because even, even removal spells plus the creature up. I ended up having two lightning bolts in my hand, which with Wild Defiance doesn't really work out too well for me. Right. And he also had a Pendlehaven in play. So we got uh. into this little dance of, well, my Isostatic Caster can shoot the Ink Moth Nexus, but he can Pendlehaven in response because it's a 1-1 creature, and because it's not instant or sorcery when I activate my Isostatic Caster, it doesn't grow out of the Pendlehaven range, so... Grows to a two throughout Pendlehaven, then my Static Caster hits it, and then I'm just gonna die to the Sink Bomb Nexus. And I'm on nine poison, he's at like six life, and I've got a Snapcaster Mage beating down. Or I'm sorry, he's at ten life, and I've got a Snapcaster Mage beating down. But I can't really close the game out with the two bolts in my hand, and I end up getting to a spot where he goes for the kill with the Ink Moth Nexus, the turn after of Inquisition, and seen his only cards of land. And I go, Bolt your Ink Moth. He remembers the triggers, so his guy grows to a 4 4. But then the bolt resolves, so it takes three damage. And then I was able to, is it Static Caster, finish off the Ink Moth Nexus. Oh. So I was actually able to use his own uh, Wild Defiance against him to turn off his Pendlehaven. Got and get it. my, is Static Caster to work again. It was a really, really, really sweet game. And one of the main reasons why I love, I mean, why, why I love Modern and why I love the Infect deck is it just leads to a lot of really interesting and really fun board states. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Okay, so that's how you start out. You're 4-0. You're moving along. You're already almost halfway through the day. Uh, what's next? Um, nothing too exciting up until we get to round six where I have to play teammate Pat Cox on camera. Uh, I win a really sweet game one when we're still off camera where he ends up drawing, I believe it's all four Splinter Twins, and we end up having an insane long, grindy game where we both have like 18 cards left in our libraries, 
And he just ends up getting up from the table when we're moved over to the camera match. And he's just like, man, I wish every match in modern was like that. And I've just started getting to chuckle. And it's like, if you just play this deck, it, every game is literally like that, where it's exceptionally back and forth. There's a ton of decisions to make. Uh, I mean, we both had planeswalkers flying all over the board, snapcaster mages going in and out of players' hands, out of graveyards. Uh, and then I end up fetching a blood crypt untapped in game two, which ends up putting me from 18 life to 16. Right. Instead of just getting a swamp. Uh, part of the consideration was I didn't have a second red source in my hand, and I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to cast PN Care if I drew it on turn four, and I'd really want to cast it because one of the ways you lose in the post board of games is they just play a turn five Kranos and sort of just bolt you to death. Yeah, you're Kurt. not really afraid of getting grinded out because you're still a better grindy deck even when uh, Twin turns into a control deck. Um, but So that was my concern. I ended up taking two additional points of damage. And I want to guess it was like turn 16 or 17. I end up losing at negative one as he top decks his lightning bolt on camera. And it's that one really stung because it was one of those things I realized I could have just fetched a basic swamp and I would have won the game fairly easily. And then we played an unexciting game three where I kept a hand that didn't have any black mana but had a Jace. And I ended up not finding any black mana and died to a, a pretty awesome hand on. Pat Cox's side, involving double snapcaster, double lightning bolt. So you're down a game. I know you finished out day one, eight one, right? I did. Okay, so you you went on a run. Who would you say between day one? Because I, I do want to get to the top eight. Obviously, that's uh, that's the the high pressure match. But uh, who who was the hardest matchup you had between that point, round seven, when you had gotten one loss and the top eight? What was the hardest matchup you had? The most tense match I had was easily against Brad Nelson in round thirteen. Brad's also playing Infect this weekend, which is actually a pretty big surprise because Brad just always plays Jund. He's the he's the Jund guy. I mean, he he wants to show up with a deck that is going to be pretty average against the field and trust that you know he puts in the hours. He's an amazing Magic player that he's just going to crush everybody. And this weekend he shows up with Infect, which I think Tom Ross may have finally convinced him of how amazing a deck Infect is. And we play two exceptionally tight games, um, and I'm in, I end up uh, I'm able to take it. Basically on a play where I discard my Rise Fall to my own Liliana of the Veil on about turn 6 or turn 7 after I get him to crack a Relic of Progenitus. And then 6 or 7 turns later, I'm able to flash it back. Well, not flash it back, but play it off of Jace and I fall his hand where I still know one of the cards in his hand has become immense and I'm on 3 poison. And it just sort of derails the entire game from there and I'm able to lock it up. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine getting Become Immense out of their hand when it's a pressure situation is, like, the best thing you could possibly do. That card's just insane in that deck. I mean, I love playing Become Immense in Standard, so I'm really happy that it's finally seeing play in basically every other format. I mean, we even see Vintage Infect decks now because of Become Immense and the power level of that card. Well, that, I mean, that's kind of what a lot of pros said after last pro, Modern Pro Tour where it was kind of like, okay, all of the... A-class Delve spells have been banned out from under us. Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time are gone. What's the next best Delve spell? Because all these are too unfair. And, like, Become Immense and Tassiger were sitting right there. Like, oh, yeah, those cards are amazing. And then Gurmag Angler just sneaks in to be, like, the top three Delve cards from that point on. But, like, that mechanic, almost every A-class spell that's come out of it has been, like, A-class in the formats they're in. Yeah, you wonder when Hooting Mandrels will end up making an appearance. <laughs> yep. Um, I mean, any Anytime you print a mechanic like that that has a cost reduction built into it, you're setting yourself up for a little bit of a dangerous scenario. And 
I mean, we're seeing most of these cards right now. They're exceptionally powerful, and they're pretty darn deadly. Yeah, a lot, any, any cost reducer, that seems to always happen. So if that's the hardest, you had mentioned that the previous Infect opponent was really interesting and a lot of fun. Would you say that was your most fun matchup, or do you think you had another one that was more fun? I think that just has a. I, I would say that Infect is just the most fun deck to play against, at least on the Grixis control side, because the games are just giant puzzles in a lot of how do their protection spells, how do their pump spells interact with your removal, because most of your removal is damage-based. You only have, I mean, at least in this list, three Terminates. But, I mean, you have Lightning Bolt, you have Colgon's Command, you have Dismember, which are all pseudo-damage-based, and they're going to try to interact with your opponent's toughness. And they're, they're playing a lot of these draft-esque cards where it's a lot of pump my guy, make it bigger. And there's a lot of this back and forth of trying to meter out your removal spells at different times, then metering out their pump spells and trying to give you poison. And there's a lot of just sweet back and forth and a lot of leveling games that go on. Uh that I think just makes the Infect deck exceptionally exciting to play and play against. Yeah, it definitely seems to have a lot of play. Um, so you, you, at what point did you know you were in? Because you finished, like, what is the two seed or something like that? Yeah, so I actually knew I was in after round 14 when I had clinched 13-1, and one, um, defeating my Jund opponent 2-1 to one in a pretty sweet set of games. But at that point, I knew I was on 39 points. I knew it was a lock because there were only going to be three or four players that had reached uh, 39 points at that point. And I actually had an interesting decision in round 15 on whether or not I was actually going to play for the one seed or draw into second. Got it. And you decided so to draw. I decided to draw. The standings come up, and there's four players on 39, one player on 37, and then a bunch of players on 36. And the reason I considered actually playing my opponent for the one seed was my teammate Craig Wesco is playing a deck that I consider a bad matchup, which is green, white, hate bears. We'll get into here in a little bit. Um, and he's neck and neck with the guy right behind him. And I know he's playing against Brad Nelson. So he's probably a coin flip to win that match against Infect. And if Craig wins, he's probably going to finish second, uh, seventh, but there's also a, a slightly less than 50% chance. He falls to eighth, I think. And if he finishes in eighth and I'm the one seed, I'm going to have to play him. But if he's seventh and I'm the second seed, I'm going to have to play him. So it's trying to meter out, try to not end up in Craig's bracket. And you just the sort other... of figured, eh, it's a, it's a coin flip. Yeah, it was about a coin flip. The other consideration was is if I end up losing the match, I'm going to fall to the fourth seed. And there was a reasonable possibility that the scapeshift player was going to end up the fifth seed if he wins his match. And that matchup is... Again, the lands of decks are the worst decks you can play against when you're playing a control deck because you just don't really have many ways to interact with them. That I wanted to do anything I could to not be fighting him in the quarterfinals. That I said, even if there's a greater than 50% chance I have to play against my teammate, Craig Wesco, playing Green White Hate Bears in the top eight, I'd rather play that matchup than whatever percentage of the time I'm fighting Scape Shift. And he's a guy that knows a little something about playing white creature decks. Uh, he may or may not have a title or two under his belt with little yeah. weenie creatures. Yeah, he's good. He's a very good player. You're in, you're in good company there. All right, so you make the top eight. Um, now, t- I mean, who, t- tell me about your first, just like the setup, the first game. You're playing Craig, right, in the quarters? Yeah, I'm playing Wesco in the quarters. He's on Green White Hate Bears, as I said. And Had you tested against that deck? God, when was the last time I played against Hate Bears? probably like three months ago and it's not a deck that most people play i think people just have a sort of they shun the sort of hateish creatures they don't want to play with them there's like more powerful things you can be doing in modern so why aren't you like playing storm or playing jund or 
you know, playing Amulet or Goria's Vengeance. Like, why aren't you just playing these super powerful, super linear decks? And Crime just seems to have a way of just disrupting everything you do. And you just don't see many players that sort of have that in their arsenal. So I've really only had maybe five or six matches under my belt against green, white, hate bears with Grixis control. So take us through your matchup with Craig then just a little bit. So how it went. Cause I actually, I was able to watch the vast majority of it. Um, I only, I only got cut short by about 10 minutes. So just sort of walk the, uh, the audience here through it so they can hear how it all went for you. Yeah, absolutely. So we both end up keeping pretty awesome opening hands. I've got cantrips to start out. I've got a Jace. Um, he starts off on two drop creature and a Leon and Arbiter ghost quartering one away. One of my lands. Sweet, sweet. play. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's rather frustrating <laughs> being on the other side of it. I'd, I'd rather not get stripped mind every game. Um, end up getting to a point where I think the major decision where I end up screwing up is probably around turn five, turn six. We get to a spot where I have Jace Friends Prodigy transformed into Jace Telepath Unbound, and he's on six or seven loyalty. I think it was seven at this point. And I had blown a Terminate on turn two no, sorry, turn three on a Voice of Resurgence, as I had two of them in my hand. As I determined, the only things I really need to terminate the matchup are four fours on my hand is somewhat awkward, so the locks have been on Smiters of the World, and Scavenging Ooze. Scavenging Ooze is his main piece and main card to actually disrupt what I'm doing, as against him, I'm essentially just a graveyard deck. Against right. him, I'm trying to Jace flashback all of my cards, fight all of his creatures on a one-for-one -one basis, grind him out with Snapcaster Mage, Colagon's Command, and eventually get a Tassigur into play and just activate Tassigur a bunch of times and just pull way ahead in the card advantage war. Because they actually do have pretty high-quality cards. Voice of Resurgence, Scavenging Ooze, Aven Mind Sensor when paired with, you know, Ghost Quarter and Path to Exile, and Leon and Arbiter when also paired with uh, such searching effects. The white creatures are actually fairly powerful, but the, the big way he's going to shut you down is Scavenging Ooze. So the card that really matters in the matchup was Terminate. I think I wasted one uh, early on to kill a voice because I knew I was going to be acting a lot of instant speed trying to measure his creatures. And then instead of flashing one back off of Jace and risking Craig making a play where he would spend his entire turn instead of deploying more threats to the board, activating a Stirring Wildwood and attacking both his Voice of Resurgence token and a Stirring Wildwood into my Jace to finish it off while I had a Colagon's command in my hand, I ended up playing the Terminate for my hand, which means I only had one Terminate left in my deck, and Craig immediately slammed his Scavenging Ooze with two green mana and a Ghost Quarter open, so he had access to three green mana. And the game sort of spiraled out of control for four or five turns, where I was sort of spinning my wheels trying to eventually make this really weird play where I double block a 5-5 five, five Scavenging Ooze with a Pia and Kieran Alar and a Thopter token and then sack the Thopter token into the Scavenging Ooze. And then after damage, so now it's eaten my pin Kira, it has four damage on it, I then had to dismember it. Wow. Yeah, I and, and, did and, not play that game well. And the reason you uh, didn't bolt before damage was you were afraid of the path? Um, yeah, so the main reason to not dismember there before damage is while Craig didn't have any cards going into hand before the turn, I felt like there was still a reasonable opportunity that if he drew Path to Exile that turn, I still had the ability to beat that in a long game. And that was one of the few spells he could draw that turn where I actually felt like I was still not ahead, but I was neck and neck and I could actually come back. And then what you see in the next three turns is he draws three creatures and I draw three lands and the game sort of ends. 
but I felt like despite my pretty huge blunder on turn seven by spending a Terminate out of my hand, I felt like there was a reasonable opportunity that letting my PN Kira Nalar die to the scavenging ooze in combat and then dismembering it at the end of the turn, I still had a very reasonable shot of winning that game if I had drawn slightly better or about on par with Craig there. But he draws three creatures, he draws three lands, I and mean, it's a pretty good recipe to lose most games. Um, yeah. So, so would you say that against this deck, the biggest tilt is voice or the biggest tilt is ooze when you see it come down on turn two? As a player who plays this kind of deck, I like to play decks like this Crixus deck. Whenever I see voice, it's always just like that uh, kind of moment. Like, God, really? Like, this is going to be a pain. Voice is pretty annoying. It forces you to just actually play with an honest, fair magic player in that sense. But I don't think voice is actually that bad for this specific list. Again, there's no counter spells, So we're not actually totally reacting to what our opponent's doing in the sense of I'm always holding up all my mana on my turn. A lot of the times you play out like a tap-out style control deck. But when it comes to turn two, I'd still much rather see a scavenging ooze in play than a voice of resurgence because I can just kill the scavenging ooze and never have to worry about it. Scavenging ooze is really a problem when we get to like turn eight, turn nine. I've got a bunch of important pieces and tools in my graveyard. And the scavengers can sort of systematically uh, dissect the graveyard and just eat my Snapcaster Mages or my Terminates or whatever other spells and creatures I'm really looking to utilize out of there. Well, plus, plus a scavenger who's coming down on turn eight means that they have five green mana sources possibly untapped to start chewing away your graveyard versus on turn two where you don't have any stuff in your graveyard and they're tapped out is a lot easier to deal with. It's always really exactly. interesting to see when a supplemental product card finds its way into a competitive format like modern like especially an eternal one like ooze originally was a commander card right yeah but it was i mean as soon as it got printed it was a legacy right it's staple play, i remember yeah. that and then it was it was sort of like oh this is good in legacy and then i remember people sort of being like well eventually that'll make it into modern like we'll see that in modern eventually kind of thing and then it was like it's such a necessary card to balance the format now in a way that it, without you know without ooze and modern that like the format would shift very drastically. The green creature decks that's a it's a huge piece uh, in all the the green creature decks that I was playing over the summer. All the weird brews they almost always were playing at least two ooze in the main deck. Yeah, I, I think ooze is the conversation of we just had it earlier of like the best two drop creatures in the format. I think ooze is just below that top five tops. You know now maybe yeah top five. It's probably the sixth best two drop creature, which is a awkward place to be i guess yeah i mean the thing is i think you would very rarely ever play four scavenging ooze in a deck uh whereas i think you would very often play four tarmogoyf snapcaster or at this sure. point jace which puts it a little bit behind but yeah i, I totally totally agree so wh- why, why don't we get into what was, how did your second match go or uh, play game it? two so game two started off somewhat similarly where i thought i had a pretty sweet hand i had serum visions and a double jace I purposely actually left the Jace on top of my deck with the Serum Visions because I thought there was a reasonable likelihood the first one was going to get killed. Um, and lo and behold, the first one gets Path. I just, I'm like, sweet, we're going to fetch around Choke. I get a Swamp. Play the second one, it gets Path. I get a Mountain. And at some point, I'm looking at my hand, and I've got four more lands still in my hand. These Jaces are in the Exile pile. It can't be brought back by the Colagons Command in my hand. And I don't have a blue source that's not an island. And uh, Craig... Notices that himself, and instead of deploying another threat onto the board, just slams choke. And I'm sitting there looking at, like, watery graves, steam vents, steam vents, and they're just locked down. And now I've got three lands, like a blood crypt, a mountain, and a swamp, and four blue cards in my hand five turns later. And 
the game really just spirals out of control from the normal one-for-one game that we want to play to I just need to find a Sulphur Falls. And I never did. Do you think, so Choke is is Blood Moon Light, obviously. For those of you that don't know what Choke does, it's a little more of a fringe card. It's one green, two colorless for an enchantment that uh, islands don't untap during their controllers untap step. Um, I think think this is a card that got way better for some reason this year because, like, Twin has done a lot this year, but Merfolk and uh, Grixis control decks showing up have made it a much stronger card in the metagame than it was previous to this year, I think. So I, I totally agree with you, and it's one of those interesting things where you you wonder if Blood Moon ever gets banned, are you going to ban Choke also just to make it more fair, or are you just going to leave just leave Choke so it's like that one unfair component as opposed to the other unfair one? But here's what I wanted to know is in getting this deck tuned up, you mentioned that you know Chapin is now on your team, uh, and he's the guy that sort of popularized the Grixis control deck from several months ago which he sort of referred to as Velocity, what was it, like the Velocity Momentum 2-for-1 deck. It's different than a normal control deck because it's like a series of of really infinitesimal 2-for-1s that all sort of like snowball together to create advantage as opposed to like one card drawing you five. Um, What were the changes that you guys discussed from that version to this version? Like what were like the big, big innovations? So Shapin actually wasn't going to this event, so he didn't put a ton of time into it. But a lot of what he did help me with in this deck was he sort of questioned a lot of the theories that I had about the deck itself. And me being able to answer his questions and being confident about my answers was insurmountably helpful. A lot of what he did was, how can you possibly register a deck without, you know, counter spells? How can you not play Reman, Mana Leak, Spell Snare, Dispel, Spell Pierce, Cryptic Command? I mean... When you think of Patrick Shapin, these are cards that you know him for in Eternal formats. And it was one of his biggest concerns of, you just don't have the answers to answer everything in a wide range. And I told him that my thought right now is counterspells are in a pretty poor place in modern where people are attacking from so many different dynamics and so many different angles that I can't be prepared with reactive answers in the form of counterspells where I have a narrow window to answer things. I need to have more universal removal spells like Terminate, Dismember, and I need to be able to get through my deck as quickly as possible so I can find those cards and then replay them with Jason, Snapcaster, and Colagon's command, thanks to Serum Visions and Thought Scour. It's funny because he said when we talked to him that the one deck that he couldn't beat was Collected Company, and he had main deck to spells at the time. So it's funny to think all you did was just say, screw it in the main deck, I'm just not going to even deal with it, cut the dispels completely and just say, if I play against that matchup, I'm just going to have to try to kill the creatures and just grind them out. Right, that was that was another one of the concerns that he didn't specifically bring up, but he sort of brought up the, the green-based creature decks, and I said a lot of what I just want to do in that matchup is I just want to blow up every one of their creatures. And while the card collected company specifically is actually the reason why you bring in Dispel in the collected company matchup, it's... Like, their creatures actually aren't that insane. Like, sure, Tarmogoyf and Knight of the Reliquary are absolutely amazing cards, but Wild Nakato and Kasali Pride Mage still die to both Lightning Bolt and Kolagon's Command, respectively. They're still playing... Uh, I mean, Scavenging is a problem that you want to terminate, but still can die fairly easily, as they have a pretty low land count, as then most of them have Noble Hierarchs in their deck. And a lot of what's just going on with their deck is highly reliant on drawing the card collected company but because you have to actually defeat these creatures pretty early on in the game with your removal spells 
they the collected company deck actually forces you to tap out and fight on its terms. So it's actually able to resolve that collected company pretty frequently, even when you have cards like Cryptic Command in your deck. So I found that pretty reasonably, all I wanted to do was be a tap out control deck against them and play to the board just like they were. And then I found that you could actually just play to the board more effectively than they could a lot of the times. No, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, looking at the list, it, it, I could see that immediately. Um, so would you would you bring this deck to another modern tournament? Was it a lot of fun to play? Oh, the, the deck is an absolute blast. Yeah, it it's looks like it. Among among the most fun decks I've ever played in any format ever. And I'm not some sick human being that wants to torture all of my opponents for all of time like some control mages are that just want to watch you sit there as I draw my entire deck and then slowly kill you by decking you out. Like, I actually like to, to you know, get people dead with creatures sometimes. Like, I, I like playing my mono red decks sometimes. So there's a definite time element to it where uh, you sort of still have to end the game, and this deck struggles to do that, but this deck is just so, so much fun. Uh, so much. If you were to play at another modern GP, say this next weekend, which isn't happening because it's Thanksgiving, but if you were, uh, what major change would you make to the deck? So the there's no real major change I'd make to the deck. I would, like I said, probably cut a watery grave, maybe for a Dark Slick Shores or Drowned Catacomb, just out play around Choke, as I only lost eight games this weekend, but two of them were specifically to the card Choke. Um, I would actually cut the Glenelendra Mage. Uh, Glenelanja Archmage from the sideboard. She's she's good in the specific matchups that she's good, but I just don't think that you really need to be spending four mana for, you know, a persist creature that while it combines both Colgan's command, I just I really don't think she does enough even after playing her. Do you think you would replace her with another copy of P and Kieran? Oh, absolutely. Let's get her in there right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so I have a couple of these are going to be sort of like speed round questions for you. Um, just like general magic related stuff. Uh, normally we do like you have a minute to answer 10, but there's a couple of these that I would I would be interested in a little bit more of like a 30 to 60 second answer as opposed to like a four second answer. So I'll just ask you less. Okay. Um, so first and foremost, what is your all time pet magic card that you would love to win a magic tournament? It could be any format. Tide Hollow Scholar. That's the number one you loved. I love Tidal Hall Scholar. I played it in my uh, Burning Coco deck over the summer. Tidal Hall Scholar has this interesting thing to me where it just seems like one of these very elegant designs where there's a very fair aspect to it of I'm going to, you know, sort of do this infiltrative design space of entering your hand and taking a card from it, which is pretty awful to play against. People hate when their cards get discarded. Like, people hate Thoughtseize. But Tide Hollow Skeller thought seizes you, but you get the card back. All you have to do is kill the Tide Hollow Skeller, and it's a grizzly bear. I mean, come on. If you can't kill a grizzly bear, then you don't deserve your card back. No, it's really sweet. The The interaction with this card that we played all summer was in this weird Ethervile Fauna Shaman deck where you could essentially, during upkeep, uh, Fauna Shaman discarding a card, getting Skeller, and then Viling in Skeller during their draw step. It was like okay. our super jank Vendillion click, but it was awesome. And it was it like sounds like you're trying to do a call against command and their draw step and you're just trying too hard. Yeah, it's true. It was not as good as Call Against <laughs> Command, and that's pretty much the reason we stopped playing the deck. Um, so all right, great. Um let's see, what else did we want to ask you? What do you think the future of magic coverage, uh, sort of in the grand scheme of esports looks like in the next say few years? Man, I actually shared a post of a buddy of mine, Jacob Van Luden, who's 
uh, I think one of the best coverage guys earlier today. So I'm actually pretty right for this. I, I really hope magic coverage doesn't get to the insane point where they're sticking players in boosts. Like if you ever watch league of legends or hearthstone where they're sticking players in boosts with headsets, like I hope they don't go down that route, but I do hope that we get more, you know, live commentary to the point where there's multiple different levels going on. Maybe not to the point where there's, you know, we're looking for per se different commentary levels where if this is the beginner stream, the intermediate stream, the advanced stream, I just really hope that coverage gets to a point where it's very level, very even keel. The commentators become a regular basis kind of thing. Like what the star city game circuit has going on, I think is absolutely flawless. Cedric Phillips is easily the best guy in the business. I, I wish that wizards would pick him up and I wish they'd bring Patrick Sullivan along with them. Those two are an absolute delight together. And, yeah, I, I just hope that we move more to streaming a lot more of the matches, not just four matches at a time. Like, I wish there was, you know, eight matches going on and they had more matches ready for you as one game finished. Yeah, we, we completely agree. It is one of our stretch goals to be covering Magic, especially Modern, uh, as we move more into the realm of video. So we're completely with you. Um, all right, if you just got fabulously wealthy, would you buy a plane or a yacht or an island? but probably a plane or a yacht. <laughs> I guess I don't know what I would really do with a yacht, so I'm going to say a plane. But would it be an island if you could get the island? Yeah, I'd probably buy an island. Islands are great. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who is the uh, the greatest movie character you can think of? Who's your the best movie character ever? Oh, my God. I'm the worst person ever for these. You're the movie buff, not me. Okay, you can pass. We'll, we'll ask you other questions. I'll take James Bond. It's a good character. Uh, guilty Pleasure? Ooh, guilty pleasure. Can I just be the fat kid that loves chocolate cake? I, I am that kid, actually. Okay. I love chocolate cake. I eat a lot of it. Significant amount of chocolate cake. A, a bunch of birthdays are coming up in my family in the next few months, and I am worried that I need to start working out. If you, I was gonna say, I thought you weren't. I thought you were gonna say if you needed a place to buy chocolate cakes, I've got like a straight like a Rolodex. I can direct you to some really good ones. Oh no, there there is a wonderful bakery about 10 minutes from where i live and i'm concerned they're just going to you know make me bankrupt fair enough okay <laughs> uh, I, I, so so curious quickly about just your role with ultra pro and all that your experience just in beginning with the team and going to a major tournament as part of the team versus previously when you weren't on obviously like one of the big up-and-coming teams what is your sort of uh your magic pro life feeling like now compared to before so three months ago, I was just a kid with a dream like everyone else. You want to requalify for the Pro Tour or qualify for your first Pro Tour. And then I was given a chance by the Star City Games TCG player team. Ended up doing the best on the team. And I don't know what two of my good buddies, Sam Black and Justin Cohen, did to convince the likes of Matt Sperling, Paul Rietzel, Craig Wesco, Patrick Shape, and all these you know amazingly talented players that I was you know, good enough to play with them. But the the level that these guys think on is just so much higher than you could ever expect. Like, they're talking about interactions that come up so infrequently and these little percentage points that matter, and they're they're tackling those in, you know, Facebook discussions for six hours a day. It's like, so crazy. I feel like we're, like, the official Team Ultra Pro coverage team. We've covered – we've had interviews, like, on this show with, like, most of the guys you just mentioned – uh, and several more coming up. 
So that's pretty cool. Uh, we we are happy to hear that you guys are all on a team together. Um, okay, so I think that pretty much wraps up the interview portion. Uh, do you have do you have anything you you want to share? Anything uh, gaming related, magic aspirations you want to chat about really quickly? Or are you are you? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean. <laughs> For anybody that was following this past weekend at the Grand Prix, thank you so much for any support. Um, it's sort of reaching the point for me where it was when I was doing well at WoW TCG where I would go to tournaments and people knew who I was. And it was just this really weird feeling as a 17-year-old kid when that was the case where I just try to explain it to people who sort of have this dream. They look up to these pro players and other games. It's just like, they're players just like you. You can beat them in any given day. Sure, some of them may do this for a living, and they may put in many, many more hours than you do, but when you sit down at a table, what you need to be looking to do is just crush them. Yeah. Just humiliate them. Just play as well <laughs> as you can in any given day, in any given match. Uh, but to those that were you know, there rooting me on this weekend or uh, rooting for me on social media, you guys are great. I love you people. Uh, Sorry that I suck and threw away another quarterfinals. I'll try harder, I promise. Yeah, try harder, man. Um, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, but I came into the year after top eighting the first Grand Prix of the season in San Diego. Like, hey, maybe I can hit silver. So I booked all these plane flights and wanted to go to all these Grand Prix. And then I wake up on Sunday morning after the Pro Tour. And it's like, I'm silver. I'm going to get to go to two more Pro Tours. And now I'm, what is it, eight Pro Points from gold? Like, it's... It's starting to sink in where this is a a pretty sweet gig, and I'm just along for the ride, just hoping that I can uh, do the team well. Last question before we sign off with you. Uh, if you could name one young up-and-coming Magic player, somebody who's on the radar you think is the, is the next star poised to break through to win a Pro Tour other than yourself, uh, who would it be? Uh, Will, Will Eber? God, I, I never remember the poor kid's last name. Uh, he's... A young kid out of the Midwest, he, for some unbeknownst reason to me, forgot to sign up this weekend for the Grand Prix and because the Grand Prix cap did not get to play in it. But he's an exceptionally talented limited player. He just has a great mind for the game. He plays exceptionally quickly and exceptionally well. I ended up playing him at the Pro Tour when I was playing Red Green Landfall and he was playing Abzan in Standard. And I was really lucky the matchup was as good for me as it was because you just you could see the wheels turning in his head and just how easily he knew how the game was going to end for him. But I went and watched him a couple rounds later, and he was just making you know gold and platinum-level pros look pretty silly. Excellent. I, I think we should be expecting great things from him in the coming years. Fantastic. We'll make sure to give him a shout-out in the notes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome, dude. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to us. We, we're so excited to hear you did well. It's always nice to see a local guy, guy that we know. And, uh, and yeah, thank, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. So hopefully you do well at the next one and we can have you on here when you win a pro. God, I hope so. Thank you so much for having me guys. It's great. Yeah, definitely. Uh, just to do some wrap up notes. First off, make sure to check out our sister podcast at rocketjump.com, which is where we are normally. Uh, that is the command zone. Uh, Jimmy and Josh do great commander content. We are on Twitter and you should follow us cause we do most of our, interaction there and uh we are at the mm cast i am personally at kess wiley i'm at ben bateman media you can find some pretty silly podcasts the last several weeks we had like a brew challenge 
We had like a debate that Alex won. I have to buy him a steak dinner. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of funny stuff going on there. So if you're interested in laughing, I'd listen to those. Uh, I would say uh, make sure to check us out. We actually now have a Facebook. Uh, we've been posting episodes there as well. Uh, you can kind of interact. That's kind of where we want fans to interact with themselves, each other. Uh, so go to facebook.com slash the MMcast. We're also posting videos on YouTube. So we're just everywhere. We're just everywhere nowadays. And you're, I mean, technically, we're not on Instagram, but Ben's on Instagram. Rarely. So you should, and you should co- just go there to find him. <laughs> Corey, one more time, if people wanted to find you and, and follow you, where, where can they find you? Uh, at Corey underscore Burkhart. Sweet. And, and that'll then, be linked on rocketjump.com with all of our show notes. And the last thing, guys, is if you love action movies, if you like movies and, and dumb action movie characters, I love them. And I do a show on Popcorn Talk called uh, Action Movie Anatomy where we do silly things like top five songs on the Rocky Four soundtrack or uh, the best line Schwarzenegger ever uttered in Predator and all kinds of ridiculous conversations like that. What won the Predator one? This captain minister, does he always travel on the wrong side of the border? <laughs> That's my favorite. Um, anyway, that was, you should that was... <laughs> you should look it up. Uh, it's a great show. We have a good fun time with that, uh, though it's not magic related. So don't if you don't like it, and I won't be offended. But I love all of you, and thank you for listening, and thank you, Corey, and we will see you guys next week. Happy Thanksgiving, even though it was in the past because this was recorded before it. Yeah, hope you had some turkey. It was good. <laughs> my turkey was delicious. It was really, was really slightly good. overcooked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. And we will see you guys next week. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the MMCast at rocketjump.com. See you later, alligator. <laughs>